Support for Fieldwork is provided by Manitou Fund. Can anyone sing the theme song? Sing the theme song? Hum it? I, can. I don't think Not so. Right now, I can't. We need. I like we gotta get a we need that on Spotify. It should be our ringtones. There, I got the beginning. Or something like that, maybe. Somebody's got to hum. The other one's got to do the harmonica. <laughs> Let her rip, tater chip season two. Let's go. Hey everyone, I'm Zach Johnson. I'm Mitchell Hora. And this is Fieldwork, the podcast by farmers for farmers. Uh, We're going to look at what's working, what's not working in sustainable agriculture. We made it to episode one, season two. And uh, yeah, if you haven't heard episode one yet, stop what you're doing right now. No, season one. If you haven't heard season season one. one. Oh, my bad. Whatever it is. Go back, listen to the whole thing two, three times over. Go back to season one. Do the whole deal. Now we're at season two. Do it in order. Jeez, follow the rules. But here we go. Definitely had a ton of great conversations in season one. We talked about a lot of stuff like recycling your nutrient dollars with cover crops, challenges of getting stakeholders like your family, your landowners on board with conservation practices, and how to use big data to advance things like sustainable egg. Yeah, this season we're going to um, expand upon that and do some really new stuff here too. We're going to start by dipping our toes into animal agriculture. We're going to talk about differences between regenerative and organic. We're going to have uh, some on-farm interviews as well, which we're calling field talks. And now we can take questions and comments from the audience, right from the listeners. And I understand we actually have a voicemail ready to go. We're going to tee that up and start us off here. My name is Carol Boschka. I live in Minneapolis. And my sisters uh, and I are co-owners of our family farm in Northeast Iowa. We all listened last year to the Fieldwork podcast. We're working to take our farm to a more sustainable place. And listening to Zach and Mitchell interviewing other farmers, I think, really helps us to understand some of the complexities with implementing some of these practices. So it's helping us to talk to our renter about um what it's going to take to implement some of these and that we're committed to helping him and his team as an, as operators of our land too. So thank you field work. And, uh, we await the new podcast. Thank you. Bye-bye. What a nice voicemail. Yeah. Thanks, Carol. Uh, thank you, Carol, very much. That's a, yeah. that's a big compliment. Heck of a compliment. And yeah, it, it's, it is different in, I think that's a really good point as landowners that this isn't just going to be something where you can say, hey, I want you to go use cover crops on every single acre because it's not going to work that easy. Right, right. But it's also, it's really cool to to hear that, you know, to hear directly from the horse's mouth of a landowner who's not actually involved in the management of the farm that they own, but know that they still do care and, and they want to know how to move forward with this and and that it's, like you said, it's not necessarily that easy. Well, and that's a good point that it's, you know, it's that family legacy, you know, that Carol and, and the rest of her siblings are trying to carry on. So it, it's cool to me that they're being very intentional about that. Right. And uh, I think that's something that's probably not thought of all that much from a landowner perspective, that it's an asset. It's a way to make money off of that ground. But a lot of times we probably don't think of it as a whole lot more beyond just that money-making asset. But it is really important to think of the legacy that that land has and the impact that it has downstream 
or yeah, to the environment. Yeah, it's good to hear landowners getting involved and, and caring about the soil themselves. We'd love to get a voicemail from you that we could play in our show. Leave us a comment or a question at 651-228-4810. That's 651-228-4810. So on your farm, how was your planting last year in accordance to, you know, the weather? I know you guys ran into some issues up up here, up in the, the norte of Minnesota. In the norte. Yeah. The norte of the Corn Belt. North. It just seems like everybody I talked to everywhere that's involved in agriculture had a rough season. That's just kind of the way it went this year. But no, we had, you know, like everybody else, we had some struggles last year. Um, we struggled at planting to get things in the field in a timely manner or at least you know, according to our expectations and when we hope to plant. Uh, and then as we went forward, it just continued to rain. Um, luckily, we didn't have too many large rain events, but we had a lot of rain. I mean, it just kept coming. Every two, three days, we'd get a half inch of rain, half inch of rain, and it just kept piling up. And um, the roots didn't go very deep. You could see some spots that were running out of nitrogen. Um, it's a, It was a difficult year to manage things. And then in the fall, once again, things were wet. We were up against the clock. The ground froze early. I mean, we we literally just ran out of time to be able to till those fields. We don't have the manpower and the machinery. You know, if, if things shut down a little bit early like they did because it got so cold, we didn't have the time to finish off that uh, that tillage. And that's very common in, in our area. The, the corn came off. Um, it got harvested. But there's a lot of untilled fields, which is very rare for our area. Zach was on vac- Zach was too busy making podcasts versus being out in this. Yeah, I was too busy podcasting <laughs> and carrying a camera around, so we didn't get those fields tilled. Uh, but you know, priorities. Yeah, priorities. Yeah, you social give media the comes first. What they want. Yeah, so that's media. right. Yeah. Gosh. No, we hey, had. Congrats on that too. You're get, Are you at four hundred thousand now? Yes. Four hundred thousand subs. Yes. That is nuts. It's uh, when we first met. You were just a measly less than three hundred thousand. So, just a I measly see the uh, correlation. Weasel. It's got to be all all for me. It came from Mitchell. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not that's that's how it happened. <laughs> What's your approach there in terms of using that as a potential learning opportunity to reduce some volatility? Obviously, you're going to come out in the spring and and still be able to hit a lot of those fields and get them worked down and get them to get them dried out and stuff. But what's your thought process on all that? You know, ideally, I would love to be able to um, hopefully leave some of it and and plant it as no a no till crop. Yeah, um, that would be the hope. What I'm a little bit concerned about is, you know, we had the same opportunity last year with um, 50 to 100 acres that we had that was not tilled. Yeah, and the problem we saw with it is that with that mat of corn stalks on top, it never dried out. Um, we actually, you know, we hate to do it, but we burned it. Because right. we couldn't get in there until it, we couldn't get in there and plant it. We burned it, and then we had to wait three or four days for it to dry off before we could get in and till it and get it planted because it just it stayed so wet without that sunshine getting on it. And it was cold, you know, checking the temperature of it was cold. Every year is different. Hopefully it works out better this year and, and we can get some get some no-till trials out there, you know, and, and maybe it'll go okay and we can uh, leave that piece again because ideally I'd love to be able to get some acreage in that no-till rotation and actually see this three, four, five, ten year benefit from it that guys see happens when that soil gets, you know, the aggregates built up the way that it's, the structure's supposed to be. And I think that's totally the key right there is, is that, yeah, there is that transition period. That's the whole point, you know, of, of the talk and everything is like in year one, yeah, you have a lot of that residue that's sitting out there and it is definitely keeping that soil colder. It's keeping it 
insulated because that water can't get up and evaporate off. And, uh, it's hard to get into the system. You know, it, it can take a little bit of time and you've got to have a planter set up or a drill set up to be able to no-till soybeans into that. Soybeans don't necessarily like cold, wet soils. That's when they get disease. Yep. So there's a lot of risk to that, but, um, but good to be able to, you know, see what mother nature does for us here this spring. And yeah, if an opportunity is there to be able to try some of it. And, um, and obviously there'll be a lot of other farmers that are in the same type of situation too, that it's, we're kind of forced into doing a little bit of it based on if the weather is fit to plant, we're going to plant. Right. <laughs> if the right. weather is not getting fit at all, then yeah, you got to go to plan B. We got to get that uh, dried out and get some black soil up on top of the surface. Yeah. It'll be interesting going forward. Cause like you said, so many farmers have those acres that are still standing untilled, you know, at least compared to what the acres normally are. hundred percent. Yeah. And for me, you know, I'll, I boil it back to, and I know we've talked about it before in terms of utilizing that living root to pull some of the moisture out. But if you can't get the roots established in the fall too, you don't have the living root there to be able to help you to actually get that piece of the soil to dry out, utilizing the transpiration through that cover crop style of, of plant. Yep. Yep. A lot of different variables, a lot of different stuff that goes into making the decisions and the, the management styles that we adapt on our farms geographically you and i are quite a bit different quite a ways different different. where you are well and yeah i mean completely different kind of situations we ended up being okay for the year we still it wasn't record breaking by any means but we did pretty well and and actually on especially on our soybean acres where we let our cover crop get really big that's where we did have really good weed control and that was actually one of my dad's takeaways for the year was he didn't originally he didn't think that cover crop was going to help us with weed control until this year. So that's kind of a cool little takeaway that that he learned and he keeps kind of bringing that up that kind of made a believer out of him this year. Well, before we go any further, I think it's time to take a quick break. For sure. All right, everyone stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Fieldwork Podcast. I'm Zach Johnson. Mitchell, I know you are a big experimenter. We're doing a lot of different experiments. You got anything cool going on this year? I think in 2019, we had like, a, I want to say around 150 different kind of trial areas going on on our farm. So we're going to see if we can up that. Um, You know, I got to make things tough on dad. And obviously he likes experimenting. Um, 2019, we harvested three crops, corn, soybeans, and wheat. Wheat? Sorry. Wheat. Sorry for the uh, mispronunciation. That's okay. 2020. Uh, we're expanding to five crops. Okay, so we have corn, soybeans, wheat, rye, and barley on our farm this year. Five crops instead of we've been two crops for forever, and now we have five. This sounds like a recipe for an amazing craft beer. Uh, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> so the barley, um, we actually have a market for a little bit of the barley that we have, and it actually is going into a malting facility in eastern Iowa and uh, going to be malted for local craft breweries in Iowa, uh, which I think is super cool because, uh, you know, I like dirt and beer, and now we're going to directly fit into both. See, I'm a dirt track guy, so I like dirt in my beer. <laughs> oh, add, there you just go. Adds a nice little zip little to it. Oh, yeah. yeah, there you go. So just if you little, need any little, <laughs> little grit to the teeth, <laughs> right? Polishes them up. Yeah, I think we've got like... 24 acres of barley or something like that. And that'll be barley just on its own. 
And then we don't fully know yet what we're going to do after the barley. If we'll try to plant soybeans after it in like a double crop situation. Because you will harvest that early. We'll harvest it probably like end of June, 1st of July. We don't know. We've never raised barley before. We don't sure. know what we're doing. Sure. And we planted it in the fall as a cover crop. So it's like two inches tall right now. Gotcha. Yeah. So I planted barley as a cover crop one time mm. and got nothing out of it. Yeah. If I walked around on the 40 acres of barley that the, the airplane flew on right before leaf drop and soybeans... Um, I think we spread, I mean, what would a common spread be? 30 pounds, 35? Yeah, probably probably something like that. And I would say I found six or eight plants out there. Yeah, and they were an inch and a half tall. Um, So very ineffective. And that was after harvest you were out there looking around or that was in the spring? Uh, that we actually flew it on in late in August, fall. so before yeah. before the soybeans dropped their leaves. Yep. Um, and then we didn't incorporate it at all. Correct. But we had, like, perfect conditions. We had plenty of rain, had some cool conditions. The leaves dropped right on top of the seeds. Yep. I think all we did was feed the mice. Well, that's nice of you. That was, yes, I'm <laughs> uh, quite the philanthropist. So my, my understanding with barley is even where I'm at in southeast Iowa, we're kind of worried about it being able to overwinter and not get frozen off. It's not quite as tough as cereal rye. Yep. And um, and I think, especially to start off, we're having really good luck planting those grasses, the wheat, the rye especially, ahead of soybeans. So then, so interseed it into corn, and then you've got the soybeans next year that you can no-till then into that. Because your planter and stuff's not necessarily set up to no-till at all. Right, no. other than for, the... For we, planting corn into something like that, barley. Right, right. We did put some roll cleaners on there now, but yeah, we would probably, in order to really do it right, probably want to make some changes to it. Well, and so that's what we're looking at, you know, is part of uh, the rye that we're going to harvest will be a relay crop where I'm going to plant soybeans directly into the rye, and then the rye and soybeans will grow together, no herbicides being used at all, harvest the rye over the top of the soybeans come 1st of July or so, and we'll harvest that rye for cover crop seed. I've got a, two crops. I've got a I've got a, a dad joke. Oh gosh! What if something goes awry? <laughs> <laughs> well, we're hoping that it doesn't, but we don't know. We did it with the wheat this year, and it actually worked really, really well. We had thirty bushel wheat, forty four bushel soybeans, with basically zero inputs. It was super profitable, uh, considering the area that we had it in is not good ground. So just trying to figure out how do we take some of these poor areas on our farm. And uh, diversify them a little bit, try some of these other crops that, you know, can maybe open up other revenue streams for us and, uh, but still help us to be more profitable. So trying out some of that, we're going to have a bunch of other trials and stuff. I do all these different products and voodoo juice kind of stuff, which is a lot of fun. And some of them work extremely well, which is exciting. And uh, just utilizing new products and practices together, you know, that's my whole approach here is it's the products and practices that are going to really help us to improve the soil health of our farm. And of course we do a bunch of, we do weekly soil sample. We do, we're having weekly aerial imagery this year, all kinds of new fun stuff. You are truly an innovator in your field. Ah, ah. standing, outstanding in the field, except for we're in our studio right now. Right but, now we are we could be. in sitting in our studio. Ah. <laughs> Completely <laughs> different. But What about, are you trying any, um, what about on corn and stuff for your side? Are you doing more of the non-GMO stuff this year? We are actually, we ordered uh, quite a bit more conventional seed, non-GMO seed going into next year. So that'll be different for us. Last year, we got lucky and unlucky with the uh, conventional soybeans that we planted, um, where they got in really late and then immediately had a massive rain on top of them, which which really set them back. 
but the good thing was is we put down a uh, a, a pre-emerge herbicide, and because they got in so late, we never had to spray that field again. Sure. That was it. Um, they stayed fairly clean other than a couple patches of ragweed that broke through, but stayed really clean, yielded fairly well. This year, um, we did order more. We're going to be planting some more conventional soybeans as well, and so we'll see uh, how the standard herbicide program works there for them. You know, it, the herbicide program switching from the GMO soybeans to the conventional really you kind of just cut out the roundup, right? Yeah, basically. Yeah. Or, or like or, the in-season kind of stuff. That's where it changes it, is when you have that crop up and growing, that's correct. when you're, you're limited. Yeah, and you, you really just kind of got to lean on some of the um, the older chemistry to make it work. Yeah. Yeah, I want to try some of that too. Um, I've talked with Dad a little bit on, hey, let's try some non-GMO seed. You know, let's try to figure out, can we get some other stuff going um, besides roundup? Um, it's still super effective. It's super cost effective. We have tried some other things, but we want to keep expanding on that. And where we're really changing our herbicide program too is on our 60 inch row corn. Yep. 60 inch row corn with interseeded cover crops into that. And because I've got this diverse mix of plants trying to grow out there, you've really got to dial in the herbicide program with that kind of situation. So we're dealing with the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. There's a lot of conversation we can have here, but Annie's telling us now that we're talking too much. Thanks to everybody who helps make fieldwork possible throughout all of our new season here of season two. Annie Baxter, Amy Scotchless-Cole, Claire Jones, Noah Boston, Kristen Schmidt, Eric Romani, and Lauren Humpert. Our theme song is written and performed by Johnny Vince Evans. With help from Corey Shreppel, yeah, we don't necessarily hum it and sing it every single time. Not every single time, but, maybe but some. we could. I mean, I do go to bed and wake up humming and singing uh, the field work. Well, of course, Ooh, the of ditty, course. the ditty, the little the ditty, little, little ditty. Our the website, Jack and Diane one, the what, the, the, the Jack and Diane little ditty, or what? Uh, no, this would be the Johnny and Corey <laughs> little ditty. Our website is fieldworktalk.org, and we are at fieldworktalk on everything else. YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Check them out. All those kind of things. If you like the show, it would be awesome if you would write us a review and, like, give us some stars and stuff, you know? And uh, we'd love to get a voicemail from you so we can play you on our show here, too. Leave us a comment or a question at 651-228-4810. That's 651-228-4810. And we'll catch you guys on Season 2 of the Fieldwork Podcast. Well, I just wanted to call in and say this podcast is just the greatest thing I've ever heard. And uh, these guys should just podcast for forever and should be number one and get a helicopter. Can I talk to them? Yeah. I'd like to nominate um, Zach Johnson for the best host of any podcast ever on planet Earth. <laughs>